Welcome to the Branding Room Only Podcast, where we share career stories, strategies, and lessons learned on how industry leaders and influencers have built their personal brands. Now, let's get started with the show. Hi, everybody. It's Paula Edgar, your host of the Branding Room Only podcast. And Branding Room Only is an opportunity for me to talk to industry leaders and professionals about their brand experiences, um, how they've shaped their brand, their reflections on personal branding. And today, I'm very, very excited to have somebody who I love dearly on the podcast today, Michelle Eiffel. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Michelle is one who has successfully made the type of pivot that is the dream of many. After an impressive 25-year corporate legal career at Verizon, she took off her GC hat to move full-time into executive and career coaching, which includes her transformational and reflective reboot retreats for professionals held in her family-owned and operated luxury resort, La Maison Michelle, which she is the CEO and co-founder. Michelle, welcome to the branding room. Hello, Paul. I'm very, very happy to be here. I'm super excited to have you here today. So let's jump right in. First question that I ask all of my guests is, what does personal brand mean to you? How do you define it? Yeah, I have a very traditional perspective on personal branding. And it's a, you know, it's a phrase that we've heard many times, but it's when one's reputation precedes them. Mm. Concept is, you know, as far as I'm concerned, how do people think and feel when they hear your name? or hear about something you've done, mm-hmm. what are you known for, what yeah. are you known as, um, and then how do you show up in the world? So that, oh, that's my view. I love that. I love the part that you included about the feel, right? It's like the Maya Angelou quote that people will remember how you made them. But I, when you just said it, it for me, it, I thought to myself, how do I feel when I think of you? And it makes me smile. And so that is an important piece of that. And I love that. I can't wait to include that snippet in. And when we share that out. Okay. So to that end, I just said that you made me smile, but how do you describe yourself in three words or short phrases? Well, I mean, there, I'm sure you hear this often. There are many ways we can um, describe ourselves, but for the purposes of today's conversation, I would say I'm an optimist, an empath, and I'm also extremely determined. And that has served me well in my career, but as well as my personal life. And so I'm not one that's easily discouraged. And so I, you know, many times lawyers are not viewed as optimists, but I I do view the glass as being half full as opposed to half empty. I love that. I love that. I'm going to, sometimes I take dealer's choice and decide what I want to tell you what I think about yours. And I'm going to add a word in there and it is convener. You bring people together. And so I think that that is um, something when I reflect on you, um, people come together because of you and you bring them together consciously as well. Um, Whether that be virtually or in person at La Maison Michelle, (laughs) which we're going to talk about shortly, but I think that is an important part of your brand and how I'm reflecting on it. So tell me this, do you have a favorite quote or mantra? Again, I have several, but the one that is moving me as we start this new year at 2024 uh, is aim for the moon. But if you miss, be happy that you're amongst the stars. That is from it's paraphrased from Norman Vincent Peale. But that's something that I I live by. um, And I also coach my clients that way. Don't set bar in a sort of a mediocre way. Set your bar really high um, and then you never know how far you're going to be able to go. 
I love that. That connects with like two different things that I do at the beginning of the year too, which is my intention and goal setting session, which is the intention is the path and the goal is a goal, right? But you have to honor the the path as well. And, and so I love that. I think that, and also engage your hustle, which is just meaning you can always do better. Whatever, whatever that is, do a little bit better there. Yeah. So yeah, great. All right. So give me a little bit of deets about your upbringing, your experience, your career path. Just tell me, give me the Michelle story. All right. So I'll, I'll give a abbreviated, I'll try to give an abbreviated version. I mean, you, you know, we're both uh, Caribbean sisters. So my, my, uh, Dad uh, is from Barbados, and he came over to the states when he was, you know, in his late twenties. And so I'm the eldest of four that uh, grew up in Long Island in predominantly PWI, predominantly white institutions. I grew up in a pretty much a Jewish neighborhood in uh, Suffolk County. I did sort of the traditional path. I went from high school straight to undergrad, and then straight to law school. I, you know, I didn't stop and pass go because. I felt that if I got off the the education wagon and started making money and traveling and doing the things I love doing, shopping, uh, it would be very difficult for me to go back to uh, to school. So the, the gap year approach didn't resonate with me. Um, but the eldest of four of Caribbean parents is raised rather, rather strictly, I will honestly say, very big focus on education. Um, and then once I made the decision that I uh, wanted to pursue my legal career. Uh, I went in, you know, both both feet uh, first. Ended up at one of the uh, you know, Fortune Fortune or AM Law Fifty firms. I was White and Case right after undergrad. I mean, right after law school. I did the summer associates. Went back there. Thought that I was going to. Uh, restructure the debt of because I speak French. And so one of the things that I was very interested in doing is representing uh, Francophone, African, speak, uh, French speaking uh, countries in Africa. Wow. And the idea was that I was going to go back to the firm and I was going to restructure these countries' debt. As you know, mm -hmm. uh, that had been a big, big issue in the 80s. And now, of course, it's come back again. Little did I know that you were not going to be restructuring countries' debt uh, every year. That's a that's a, a decade long uh, process. And right. so when I ended up uh, at the firm, I was pretty much in the securities department, in the printer's office at uh, the printers at, you know, two, four o'clock in the morning, mm -hmm. reviewing. 10Ks for typos, et cetera. So I did that for a while and I realized, no, this can't be the career for me. And I I left and I um, moved myself to Schneider Harrison, which had a New York branch office. And so there it was a smaller office, 40, 50 attorneys. I knew that they had European clients. And so my plan was to use my French in, in supporting these um, European clients that had New York uh, or East Coast uh, subsidiaries. And so I had a, a plan for that. Once I got to the firm, happily, they, I was uh, paired with a you know very wonderful partner who took me under his wing. However, all of his clients were Italian. <laughs> and I did not speak Italian. So I stayed there a few years. Uh, and then the, that's when the, about the time where the 
one of the major corporate crashes happened at the end-ish time in the, in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And so I saw the writing on the wall that uh, the firm, that, that was not going to be a place that I was going to be able to make my home. And I also realized around that time that partnership was just not something I, it wasn't in my in my blood. My, my brand would yeah. not lend itself to uh, the concept of of working through the, the the partnership, I don't know hazing if you if you want to call it that. And so I was lucky, and this is where I tell clients and anyone else who is willing to listen to me, mm-hmm. always take the call because I made let's say I made the decision early in the month, and then within six weeks I get a call from a headhunter who said that MCI and those of you listening hopefully remember MCI who was you know the the competition to the the AT&T Ma Bells of the of the world. They were expanding their contract negotiations team because of detariffing and the Telecom Act. And so I was one of the first lawyers that was hired to uh, create, create and expand this team of contract negotiators. That's what my background is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where I uh, really uh, excelled quickly. I came in with uh, a real excitement about being in-house and that really sort of created the brand from a very, uh, I would say, young age in my career at the at the company. And then it just pretty much grew, grew from there. I was uh, started with a very huge negotiation. And when we think about um, how the, the saying where, you know, first impressions are lasting, it can be extremely positive, but it also can work in in negative ways, which maybe we'll get to later. But for me, uh, I came in with you know this the work ethic that I'll work twenty hours if you give me nineteen, and so that that's the reputation I had. I came in, negotiated this huge deal against a, a consultant that had been in the business for probably twenty years. I was new; I did not know much about telecom, but. For whatever reason, I was trusted to negotiate that, and I think it was a $950 million deal, the largest that the uh, the, the firm had done in this space uh, successfully. And that really laid the groundwork for, I believe, that laid the groundwork for my, uh, for my getting more uh, exposure, getting more difficult deals, and then eventually getting a team and, and moving my way up. I love that. Um, first of all, I cannot do this podcast without shouting out that I also have a father who's Bayesian who will be listening to hear that. So I have to, <laughs> to acknowledge that uh, Barbados fathers represent. Um, so there's that. But what a fantastic trajectory. And I love how you pull out a lot of the different pieces that people often ask about, right? Like, should I go straight through? Um, am I, you know, am I supposed to be on X path? And I love that you said, I realized it's not what I wanted. And then I went to do something else. And that self-awareness piece about your brand and who you want and what you want to be mm-hmm. and how you want to show up is such a core lesson that I wish that we could impart upon other people to get earlier because then you would miss out on a lot of sort of false starts. But again, I guess our path is our path, right? <laughs> so it is. It, what it, is. it is. And I, I think that what happens is we get comfortable. Mm-hmm. Like we see two or three paths that others have take, mm-hmm. taken and then make the decision that that's the path I need to go down. Mm-hmm. The the Taking the time to be self-reflective as to what your strengths are and then what where do you want to see yourself in five years or, mm-hmm. or in 10 years? Actually creating a, a path and creating a plan mm-hmm. is 
in my from my perspective, incredibly important, especially this day and age. It, it may not have been as important 20 years ago. I didn't know. Oh, I didn't have a plan that I was going to move into a GC position. Not at all. I knew I didn't want to be a partner, but I made that decision. But once I started to move my way up in my corporate environment, and as you know, with MCI, then we went to WorldCom, we had the bankruptcy, we had the, you know, the reemergence, then I made my way through there. And then we ended up at, at you know, ending with Verizon and adding so many other new companies and mm-hmm. and people and uh, as well as the M&A and the 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 reductions there was just was a lot going on and so I can't say that I was strategic, strategically thinking about what my next step would be when I was in the midst of all of it but yeah. what I did know is that I was really paying attention to to make sure that I remain true to what was important to me mm-hmm. um, and that was the people and um, and that I'm sure you're going to ask a question about that, but I, I did want to make that statement. So something that I reflect on a lot when I do you know work with people who are in-house and I speak at a conference, I always get asked the question, like, why do I have to care about my brand if I'm in-house? Like, I'm not trying to go anywhere. Right? And so what you just said to me, I'm like, well... I already knew the answer, but you it was a perfect example of why you need to work and think about your brand when you're in-house because you don't know what the company's going to change, who's watching, all of those things. But I wanted to give you the opportunity to maybe um, specify some reasons as to why it's important to think about your brand when you're, in, when you're in-house. Yeah, that's so interesting you said that, Paula, because I have this conversation with people who are in-house as well as people who are in the firm. So let's let's focus on in-house though. Um, why it it is it is imperative that we all are focused on what our brand is, no matter where you are in an organization. And I think that that's something that gets left by the table. And you and I have had this discussion already. To that we all, as women especially, and then as Black women, the concept of making sure that all of the people who support you know that you also support them. And so the 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 reality of this is a it's a circle, right? And so as you feed into other people, they feed into you. And the idea that someone in a room that you may eventually get in, but you're not in right now, they are having conversations about you. They're having conversation about not only your work, though. How is it that you work with people? What is your general attitude around the office or, or on or on Zoom or wherever you are? How is it that you are feeding into those who are part of your team? How are you helping your teammates? Uh, there are all all these you know different aspects of what makes up a person's brand. And the the last thing I will I will state because I do have a lot of conversations with women especially on the concept of, and you're like me, we smile a lot. That I know has, that's natural. That comes natural for me. Um, And I absolutely know that that has helped me in my career. Do I think that's fair? I I actually don't because there are people who are just as bright, just as engaging, just Mm -hmm. as interested in their career and interested in others, but they don't have the face that wears that interest. um, And that actually detracts in their brand. It certainly does. When I was in undergrad, I studied anthropology. And one of the things that I learned right at the beginning in my my core anthropology classes was that as human beings, one of the ways that we connect is by looking at each other's eyes and our teeth. And so, so that 
really, yes, of course, we say it in terms of just wanting to look amiable, but literally it's how we connect too. So if you are always in sort of bumpy mode or or not, you know, showing those things, it can be a detractor, not just on, you know, how you show up and feeling, but also how you are perceived, period, because of our, our just basic human beingness. And so um, mm-hmm. I am also not a fan of people being like, you know, just smile. Even though I love to smile all the time, but I do think that there's a benefit in showing up uh, in the way you want to be perceived, which is branding, right? So I love that. So you are talking about having not necessarily had a strategy, but in some spaces being strategic in terms of thinking about where you are and where you wanted to go. And what resonates about that for me is that all of my strategy that I have had in my career for the most part has been either alongside a mentor a group of people who am I like my people, my squad, my personal board of directors, and that includes a coach. And so tell me that how does the thought about your career and then your emergence into becoming an executive coach, how do those things kind of combine with each other, both mm-hmm. reflecting back? I don't know if you've if you ever use a coach, but thinking about what you do now and how you support other people. Yeah. No, great, great, uh, great, great question, great segue. Mm-hmm. So the transition from my general counsel role mm-hmm. into my retirement and going full time into executive coaching was mm-hmm. extremely seamless. Mm-hmm. The reason I say it was seamless is because I've always been a coach. I've always been a mentor, even before I knew or before anybody was even speaking about that terminology. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, and I'll add manager in there too and uh, have a little funny story. But when I was probably... I don't know, nine or 10, uh-huh. a brownie. I went to my first brownie meeting and uh, from the Girl Scouts. Yeah. And I came home from my uh, from the meeting and said to my mother, you know, mom, I'm not going back there. Those people really don't know what they're doing. These are the things that needed to get done and they didn't do. I was 10. So um, I've always had this, this concept that I can strategically look at the strengths and weaknesses of a situation and people mm-hmm. and then not focus on what the weaknesses are, but focus focus on the strengths. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really what I did uh, throughout my my career. I loved um having having teams to be close to and to help bring along. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, as you said, i'm a I'm a collaborator and a a, a person who's a convener. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was also, quite interested in making sure that not only in the legal department, but that we also incorporated our, our business clients too. Mm-hmm. And so when you think about coaching, uh, you know, look, looking at an individual and hearing what they believe that their challenges are, and then helping them to dig deep to understand possibly why they're either the communication style or the messages that they think that they are sharing or receiving aren't being received and given in the and the spirit in which they were expecting or understanding, mm-hmm. um, I believe is is also, you know, crucial. And so the, you know, moving full time to executive coach and then you know, trans, you know, transcending from there to incorporating my coaching in our retreats at the villa in Barbados mm-hmm. is something that, again, came somewhat naturally because, we had built, my husband and I had actually built the um, the resort from the ground up while I was in the role of of GC or just before I became GC at, at, uh, at Verizon. So we, you know, I was wearing a double hat, but he really was handling all the, the heavy lifting. And so it was easy for me to just transition uh, upon retirement to working on that full time. 
shout out to Guy because I love him. So he's the best. <laughs> and uh, just so everybody knows, uh, we're going to have obviously have the link for La Maison Michelle in uh, all of the, you know, the, the page with all the resources. But it is beautiful. I can just say that it is gorgeous and the rooms are so beautifully decorated. And so that is just my being like, let me just tell you, <laughs> you're in Barbados. You need to go. I appreciate that. Fantastic. Um, we, we have to get you back there, Paula. Yes, most definitely. I'm, I'm ready and waiting. I haven't been back to Barbados in over four years now. And Please. it's time. Oh, don't worry. I'm coming. <laughs> I will be back. Uh, yeah, my people call, they're calling me. They need me. So, do. so, you know, in thinking about what you just said about being a coach and then having been always a coach and always a manager and thinking about being a strategist, I think a really important part of having a leadership brand, and you do as a you know, leader, is how you build up other people, right? And so when I think about you had and have a squad, right? You have people who are serious about their Michelle. They don't play about Michelle. And it is because of how you have poured into folks. But I know that every manager and every leader doesn't necessarily have that trajectory or that mission and vision. Mm -hmm. What has building other leaders done for you? It's interesting because when, oftentimes I get the question, like, what are you most proud of when you're in your career? And it can sound trite, but the concept of building other leaders and, and, and actually I had always been someone who led from behind, um, Mm -hmm. as I got more senior and worked, uh, moved to the role of GC, it was difficult to do that because I'm the one who had to be on stage. I'm the one who had to be in front of the camera, et cetera. But, um, the, I'm really very focused on legacy in, in, all aspects, frankly, of of my life, mm-hmm. uh, and the legacy of my career uh, has been that there there are you know many people who you know women and men uh, who have been able to spend time with me, and I've been able to find, as I said, I really prefer to focus on people's strengths than looking at their weaknesses and and having them put their energy there because not everyone has to do everything. And oftentimes if we don't spend the time to understand what it is that a particular employee wants for their career, then you don't really get an opportunity to get the best people in the seats that they should be in um, to excel. And and then, of course, that that makes the team stronger if everybody is in a place where they're feeling that they're providing their best value. And so it's been, you know, feeding into others has been extremely important to me. And it's a legacy that I've I've left uh, that I'm extremely proud of. I, I love it. Uh, I was, I'm laughing because yesterday, just yesterday in therapy, <laughs> my therapist said to me, why are you so obsessed with legacy? Why are you so obsessed? And, and I was like, hello, I'm the child of immigrants. What do you mean? Yes. <laughs> yes. Right? I'm like, it's always been about like what your impact is. But I think, especially as you were just talking, I was like, maybe it's also Barbados thing in specific too, because I could just feel like this. Mm-hmm. What are you, how are you going to add value? What are people going to say, you know, when you are no longer here, how you impacted the world? And, you know, obviously you've got, a legacy that you will continue to build, and but it's it's profound already, and I've seen it. And like I said, I've seen people talk about you, and I've been like, mm, don't mess with Michelle because she got people who are gonna come for you <laughs> if you do. Uh, and it's and I count myself as one of them. So there's that. Okay, so you go from general counsel, which I would just say is probably not an easy job. 
<laughs> to then working with people and, you know, in, in terms of the coaching capacity on their strengths, to your point, and, and not, you know, and minimizing and, you know, their their uh, challenges, but really focusing their strengths. But this not but and being a you know CEO and proprietor of your own spot um, in Barbados probably has challenges and benefits as well. How do you sort of bring yourself that whole transition and being there? What is it getting from Michelle? What is La Maison Michelle getting from all of the things that Michelle has learned and done before this? Wonderful, wonderful. Um, I think I'll bring it back to, to legacy too, because my uh, father, as I, as I said a little earlier, bought this land mm-hmm. like six, I don't know, 55 years ago. Um, my parents bought it and it just sat there for 50 years, uh, mm-hmm. overgrown and with coconut trees and weeds and, and the like. Uh, and we weren't doing anything with it. The family, my, my parents actually bought it to build their retirement home. That was the plan. Putting four children through not only undergrad, but grad school. And as I said, I'm the eldest of four. There's no such thing as retirement to be able to build your home <laughs> in, you know, on the other side of the world. Uh, mm-hmm. So it just sat. Um, when my husband and I got married in Barbados 25 years ago, dad took us around. That's how we ended up actually even seeing the property and saying, you know, this is something we should, we should think about mm-hmm. uh, developing. You know, fast forward, once we made that decision, uh, then I was almost had blinders on about the fact that I wanted to complete this project because this was a vision that my parents had. And the reality is that institutional and generational wealth is something that is not easily passed on in our communities. Decisions need to be made, bills need to be paid. And so we end up losing our land, selling it because we need to pay bills. We need to, you know, handle tuition, et cetera. So uh, I was really determined to look at this property and say, okay, what can we do to make sure that, you know, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, we have this this piece that uh, our grandchildren and their grandchildren can actually look towards, to use, to enjoy, and, you know, possibly even, you know, use uh, from a from a business perspective. But the the mindset was, this is for the legacy. This is for the family. Um, so what does the the villa give to me? I I and what do you know I get out of the villa and what I pay into it mm-hmm. is just creating a space for um for people to go and actually have the the mindset and the feel the energy to just exhale. Mm-hmm. I mean that that's really in a nutshell, the way in which I look at La Maison Michelle. So it's it's situated in a way because I know what the day-to-day lives are of, you know, 90% of the clients that have, have come uh, through our doors. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are on Zooms constantly. We are, you know, trying to squeeze in a workout. We, yes, we get a vacation pull, pull together, but then, we, you know, we're figuring out what need, where we need to go, where we need to eat, what we need to do. And so we take all of that off of, uh, our our uh, participants um, and our our guests because I feel it's we do not get an opportunity to take as good care of ourselves as we should mm-hmm. and uh, we see that in the incidence of diabetes mm-hmm. of anxiety of depression of alcoholism all of these different uh, ailments that women and black women specifically mm-hmm. um, are suffering through in much greater numbers than they were during our parents' time. It's just, it's just another, it's like night and day. 
Why is this happening? We know why it's happening because we're not, we're taking on so much and then we're not refilling that cup. And mm-hmm. so that is the point of La Maison Michelle in a, uh, in a nutshell, as far as I, I'm concerned. I love that description. You can hear your passion for it as you describe it. And I remember I had a conversation with somebody who, this was years ago when they were like, oh yeah, I'm going on a retreat. I was like, retreat? What is a retreat? Yeah. <laughs> it was, in my mind, I was like, what is this concept of going somewhere to do something? It, you know, it was like, is it vacation or is it not? Yeah. But obviously, and I think in particularly, probably in the last decade, there's been much more of a focus on saying, you are not going to excel professionally if you do not look inwards and take some time to chill, right? to, to, to literally retreat. Because I thought of the term retreat as like, go back, mm. as opposed to relax, right? Mm-hmm. And to continent. And so... I don't know. I think this is a good time. Can you tell a little bit about what a retreat experience has been like? I'm going to go back off fuzzy. That has been like for you, uh, how you convene folks and what it, what it might look like for somebody who's interested in going to a retreat at Nice on the Yeah, perfect, perfect question. Happy to do so, Paula. Uh, and and I, I'll start by saying that we have a series of different types of retreats depending on what it is that our our clients um, and participants are interested in. There are those who just really literally want someone else to just plan a vacation, which would mean uh, a list of you know various activities that we provide for our guests, and the uh, the retreatee would just say yes, I'm I'm interested in doing X, Y, and Z. My focus is rest and relaxation, so yoga, meditation, stretching, mm-hmm. uh, walks in the in the countryside, mm-hmm. uh, you know the 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 beach, all of all of these type of uh, activities for those who really are just looking for vacation. Mm-hmm. But in addition. Um, and this is where I spend my time is is the combination of professional and personal development as well as the the R and R side, which is the rest and relaxation. Mm-hmm. And so those we have workshops in the morning where we're talking about all of, a myriad of of issues, whether it's um, how do you how to focus on your executive presence, mm-hmm. how do you time manage, how is it that you deal with difficult bosses, mm-hmm. what do you do about you know, the onslaught of DEI challenges that are coming our way. What is it like to be a, a, a woman in, in an organization where you're not feeling a herd? So there, there are many different business development. That's another another area that we spend a lot of time on. So, um, so yes, we're quite pleased to be able to offer a curated experience for exactly what it is that our guests are interested in. Oh, I love that. I love that it's customized and curated because that, that means I think for folks who have that need, why not go learn where it's beautiful and warm and go just and the food is good and it's Barbados. So, exactly. um, shout out to Barbados's beaches, which I will put against any beach that anybody says is beautiful in the world because I just know that though it's the place in which I'm like, oh, the beaches. It is fantastic. Beautiful. All right. So I think that was a great sort of outlay of the the, the role, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But what I really want to hear about, not Anne, but but I want to hear from you about some of the things that you may have seen in terms of your volunteerism and maybe how you convene people and particularly have continued to convene people that is helpful to you building your brand and them also considering and thinking about their brand by convening, like the, the power of people for you. Yeah, the power of people. Um yeah, I think that that is an area that more uh, organizations, firms, companies, entities 
are recognizing that putting time and energy into the mental health and the spiritual health um, and the intellectual health of our employees is actually increasingly critical. Uh, there was a time where, you know, the bottom line, it was just the billable hour and just, you know, keep it moving. But uh, at this point, employees are making decisions that they really don't want to be in environments where they're not seen as a whole person. Uh, and so that is relatively new, uh, but it's something that I frankly had always known. And so I do believe that my leadership style has always been that I want you to know that I'm seeing you as a person mm -hmm. uh, and that the fact that you, you know, don't raise your hand at any of our meetings or you seem to uh, not be as engaged in um, a, de a decision making isn't because the person is not thinking through or actually quietly engaged in what's going on. It's just that they have a, a different a different style, a, a different way of emoting. And so the way I can tie it to my brand is that I do believe that as I was moving up in my career, the those people who were the managers, those people who were senior actually saw the care that I had was giving to my teams. And not only the people who are like quote unquote under me, but also my my colleagues. Okay. Yes, a lot of people can easily manage up. I don't need to talk about managing up. We're we get to a level where we understand what that means. But it's really, really important to also look look to the side, look at your colleagues. What do they need? What what are some of the things that you can do to make their jobs easier, which in turn comes back to you. And you know, obviously when you are pouring into your people, when you're pouring into your team, when you're when you're transparent about challenges that you're seeing when you're authentic about what's going on in uh, either the industry or specifically with the company. I always was someone who who led with transparency. I just felt that give people information because it, it just helps with the anxiety. It helps with people, you know, not being on eggshells, not knowing what she was going to drop next. Uh, and, and it also, when you share, guess what? People share with you. And then that also makes you a stronger leader. That is 100% true. Uh, you know, I often talk about inclusive leadership and, you know, I think, you know, we used to see these models of leaders being like, I'm stoic and this is, my, I'm, but true inclusive leadership is is being a little bit vulnerable, right? It's, be, it's being able to say, hey, I'm not sure either, but we're going to figure this out. Or, yeah, I'm a little nervous as well, but we this is going to happen in X way because it's not that you have to show that you're unbreakable, but it's to show that you are that you, that we can have confidence in that we'll figure that piece out, whatever it is. Nobody knows. I mean, when I think about in the last four years, how we have had to shift as just a global world thinking we could do X and X was going to be the way it went. And then yeah. <laughs> having a full pandemic and be like, oh, OK, we have a whole new alphabet. That's <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. Um, okay, so what mistakes have you seen when you have uh, in your career and 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 the work that you've done about people building their brand or building a network? What's something that you think that folks make mistakes in? Well, for, well, I'll speak primarily about what I see in the legal field because that's mm -hmm. where I, where I spend my pen in my space. And as we know, lawyers are generally conservative. I mean, we don't. You know, we're not huge risk takers. Uh, as I said, I'm an optimist. Most of us are not. Um, and we we stay in our comfort zone 
And even though intellectually we have a strategy or we have a plan that we want to implement as far as, you know, transitioning to another industry or transitioning to a, another a specific type of role. But, but what we do is we still stay within the same bucket of friends, colleagues, conferences, speaking events. We stay in the like the same space where we are instead of thinking, okay, I want to get here. So let me start doing things that's going to put me in a position to be able to get to that next phase. And you know, it's it seems very um it seems very basic, but because of the fact that folks are oftentimes concerned and uncomfortable in new spaces, then that's what holds people back. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very much uh, a believer of sort of pushing people to say, okay, look at the people that you're spending your time with. Is, mm-hmm. if, are these those that are going to help you get to that next level? And I'm not saying be only focused on, you know, who's going to help you get somewhere. No, but right. what it is, is that you want to put yourself in an environment that's going to make it easier for you to be able to reach the milestones that you're looking for. Oh, yeah. Yes, that is so key. I I started a process probably five years ago where I did an annual review of my board of directors to say who needs to go into advisory mode, who needs to be current, who's like term is ending as if it was an actual board because, and that didn't mean I was like, it's over, get out. But it just meant that I was tapping and we were communicating and being in relationship differently Mm -hmm. because for some, you know, whether it was that they're, you know, they had life circumstances that made it, you know, impossible for them to be where we needed to be in community. Again, understanding that the process of life is is that we all shift, that we don't know what's going to be coming next. But really thinking about it has been, I think, probably the most important part of how I've built my business. Mm -hmm. Period. And how I built my support in my life. Harry. <laughs> I, I, I totally agree. And yeah. you're right. It's both. Yeah. It's both yeah. in business and in life. And mm-hmm. and and people make that 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 mistake of of just sort of staying still and yeah. then wondering why things aren't happening. Well, because you're staying still. Yeah. Right. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. Um, okay. So what advice do you have then for people in trying to build their brand? It's it's funny because you use you use the word vulnerable and and I and I think that, that that's a very valid piece of advice. Be willing to be open to people and share what it is that you're looking for. What is that saying? A closed mouth doesn't get fed. Yeah. <laughs> so so people can and you know people can't read your mind. Yeah. Uh, and if you take the time, and this is something that I I do. You know, I would like to say I do it uh, monthly, but it's probably quarterly, uh-huh. which is just, just write out some goals, write out some goals. And then what you do is then you work backwards mm-hmm. from, you know, by you know in six months, I want to be doing X. And mm-hmm. then, you know, each month you come up with a, a strategy ahead of time mm-hmm. as to what you need to do that month in order to six months later be exactly where it is that you say that you want to be. It's it's very basic, but it absolutely works because thinking about the things you're going to do mm-hmm. aren't going to get them done. Writing them down and then going back to them yeah. will help you to stay on track. And so that is crucial. The other piece of advice I have is when I was sort of coming up with the concept of trying to figure out what my brand was, I wasn't thinking about branding. That was not a thing 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. However, it is now. Okay. Mm-hmm. So my view is there's really no excuse mm-hmm. for right now people not having a not being able to figure out a roadmap as to how to get where you want to. So 
with with social media, with you know everything that's at our disposal on LinkedIn and all the other platforms that exist, you can find the people who are doing the things you want to do. Mm-hmm. Send them a connection request. Ask for a, a coffee. You know, do do the things. Be vulnerable. Reach out. Uh, staying staying in your cocoon is really not going to get you where you want to be. Oh yes, I take that personally as advice to me. I know it's to everybody else, but um, one of my goals this year has definitely been to allow myself the opportunity to get help. <laughs> and I'm usually in the position of helper, and to accept help has been like 2023's lesson for me was, okay, guess what? You can sit and receive and help. And that requires vulnerability and also requires um, sometimes saying to somebody, hey, I actually need this, right? Can you help me in in this space? And I got to tell you, I'm still like, and again, I I, I tie that back to my West Indian upbringing because I'm like, I I can do it. I can do it. I can do it all. Right, exactly. And and being expected to as another older sibling as well. I, I get it. I've had to that entire time. All right. Well, as we close the conversation, I want to ask you something that is important to me. What do you do for fun? <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, you know this, um, Paul. So I'll just, I'll just, um, you know, explain it again. Which is, I just love giving parties. I love giving parties. I love giving events. You know, being in the hospitality space is so perfect for me. Even though I had no a training in it, official training in it what I uh, but I love bringing people together I love bringing interesting people together and I and I also love sort of connecting people who can actually help each other so I love dancing I actually am a pretty good cook and I also love doing interior design so all of these loves and actual skills that I have have nicely coalesced in what we've been able to um, build and and make uh, come to fruition at, at Lamy's Show. A hundred percent, because the part, and I'm glad that I've, I tried, to, I was like, I'm going to count this to you and see if you catch it. I love that you have been the person to say, I'm going to design and, and conceptualize all of the rooms there because it. when you walked me through them, I was like, oh my God, this is, I always feel like your talent, your magic shows up in the space and it shows up in this really bright space when, when you're tapping into it. And mm-hmm. It's so clear. It's like, I would never think to print this room, bring these prints. I would be like, hey, blue looks for me. Like, <laughs> that, that is not my skill, but it is clearly, clearly one of your skills and certainly putting people together. My husband still talks about that he celebrated his party, his birthday at Lamont's home. So yes. like, I get it. Okay, Tosh. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So as we close out, I ask everybody two of the same questions. Um, one is this. What is a unique aspect about your brand? I call it your stand by your brand moment that you will never compromise on. I will not compromise on being honest and transparent mm-hmm. about what, what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling in a, in a respectful way, but I am not, I'm not good at being, um, I don't know, duplicitous. I'm just not. Uh, so transparency and honesty is important, huge to me. Um, reliable. I am, if I say I'm going to do something, I, I may get it to you, not necessarily exactly when it is that you would like it, but I'm I'm there for you. So I'm reliable as a friend, as a colleague, as a work, as a boss, um, yeah. all, all, all the way around. Um, and in quality. 
quality to me is extremely important. We just had a conversation, I think, the day before yesterday about some, you know, quality control uh, mm-hmm. issues with another, with a vendor. And I explained the, you know, the, the thoughts that I have, that I have very high expectations of myself mm-hmm. and sometimes too high. I recognize that. <laughs> uh, but I also have high expectations of those people who are, who are, you know, coming into my world um, and providing services to our, our guests and our, and our, and our participants. So quality, honesty, transparency. I love it. Yeah. I mean, quality and consistency impacts your brand, right? So, so, okay. So then the podcast title branding room only is a play on the term standing room only. And so it is, what is that piece of magic? What is that thing about you that somebody would be standing in a room that's packed to see you do or experience about you? Well, a, a packed room, uh, I I do have the, as I said a bit earlier, the, the personality and pension and drive to sort of like, bring my arms around a large group of people. I tend to be someone who is inquisitive of others. And so people feel that I'm interested in what it is that they're saying. And so I would say my special gift is camaraderie, sisterhood, and feeling emotionally connected to to many people. So that would be my uh, my gift. I think that that is a perfect way of summing up um, what I would be saying in the room for to be like, what does she say? Tell me. Um, all right. So first of all, I want to thank you for spending time with me and with my audience. And how should people connect with you, La Maison Michelle? Uh, tell me, tell them um, what the best way is to find you. Okay. Well, I'm I'm around, but LinkedIn is easy. Yeah. Connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love for people to actually do that. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition, my, my uh, coaching website is www.michelleeifel.com. Very easy. Um, and then, of course, we have the Villa website that where you'll be able to see our retreats as well as uh, different ways that you can uh, engage with uh, having a, a getaway uh, to, to Barbados. And that's www.lammbarbadosvilla.com. Fantastic. Well, all of the links will be included in the show notes. Michelle, thank you so much for spending time with me today. And everybody, make sure that you share this podcast. There were so many gems. Uh, and also share that we should all just all meet up in Barbados. Whoever you are, wherever you are, meet me in Barbados. We're, we're, we're going to make it happen. <laughs> that being <laughs> said, right. bye, everyone. All right. Thank you so much, Paul. I've enjoyed this.